Heavenly Father, we give you praise, we give you glory, we know that you are here, present here, Lord. But Lord, we don't want just to declare that as a faith statement, Lord. We want to sense your presence, we want to hear your Holy Spirit come and teach us. And so, Lord, I commit every, every preparation over to you, Lord. Come and teach us about prayer this evening so that, Lord, we can have that dialogue with you and let it be meaningful. Let it, Lord, that you will speak with us and us with you also. So lead us and guide us through this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight's title is very simple, very straightforward. When you pray. So guess what we are going to be talking about tonight? It's about prayer. We have reached that point of the message and where, where Jesus talks about prayer. But before we get into this topic, which is a very important one, I want to ask you to consider, to evaluate. We will ask the question over and over again, how's your prayer life? What are your prayer disciplines? What would be your prayer focus? How do you pray? When do you pray? You know, these are questions that I think many people ask, and I hope that through tonight's sharing, that it would open up something within our own hearts and perhaps draw us closer to the Lord and help us to understand prayer a little bit more. Let's start with a few quotations from men of God who have written about prayer, spoken out about prayer. You might have heard some of these statements before. E.M. Bounds, have you heard of this man? He is very well known to be a prayer warrior. He writes books about prayer. And so the first quotations from him, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. So that could be one aspect of prayer. It's not just, just talking you know, to other people and telling them about God, but coming to God in prayer and telling God about these men is even a better thing. How about Andrew Murray? another very prolific writer and writes about prayer also. We must begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring its power down to earth. Does that sound familiar? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that? Huh? So Andrew Murray sort of paraphrases it, that prayer is the one that moves moves things, you know, uh, from heaven down onto earth. John Wesley, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. I think this is a beautiful quote, right? We want God to do something, so let's pray. God responds to how we pray and what we pray about. James Hudson Taylor, I've seen many men work without praying. I hope that's not us, huh? I've seen many men work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it. But I have never seen a man pray without working. So do we work without praying or do we pray and out of our prayer we begin to work? One last one, my favorite, Oswald Chambers. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so... If we look at this, we might be wondering, okay, you know, what's my assignment? What's my assignment, that greater work that's out there? And we think that, you know, as we pray, we will come to an understanding of that. I think Chambers gives us a different perspective. He says prayer actually is that work. That as you do that, then your assignment comes out of that. It flows out of this great work of prayer. Great men of God, wonderful quotations. But tonight, of course, we want to know what does Jesus say, amen? What does the king say? about prayer. And so we are moving into Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Let's read this passage and we will draw certain, some points from the sayings and the teachings of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and we'll stop at verse 9. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, 
for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. And we take a pause there, and you know next teachings we will continue with that. Let's notice something from this passage. I think there's a presumption. Let's start with a presumption. Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Three times he says this in a very, very short passage. I want to suggest to you that there's a presumption that you will be praying. That there are moments that you would pray. There's not one person here that does not pray. The question is, how do we pray? What is the posture when we come for prayer? What would be our motive and what's our perspective when we address this item called prayer? Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. And so for the rest of this teaching, I want to look at seven points. Quickly, we'll touch one point and we'll move to another. We will talk about petition, about priority, about privacy of prayer, the position of prayer, the pattern of prayer, the persistence of prayer, as well as the power of prayer. I know there are other points. It's not exhaustive, this list, but I'm just drawing from what I see from these few verses. So journey with me, and I hope that each of these points will be a blessing to you, will be an encouragement to you. I, I say this many times, that as I teach, we can give point after point after point. But if you have one point hit your heart, I will be the happiest man on earth. Amen? And if you have that one point set you on fire, stir you, draw you closer to God, bring you even into a better alignment to the things of the kingdom, I say praise the Lord for all that. So let's go to the very first point. I call it petition because I want to ask ourselves, what is prayer to us? What is prayer? What's the definition of prayer? You know, sometimes having grown up in a, a Christian uh, upbringing, I mean, prayer is so natural, isn't it? We go to church, we pray. Uh, before eating, we, we pray. Uh, before we sleep, I suppose we pray. Uh, when we get up, uh, I hope we pray, right? And so we hear about prayer. And, but well, what is prayer, really? What is prayer, really? And I think along the many years of praying and learning and reading books, so many books written about it, we can say that prayer really is a conversation, isn't it? It is talking to God, and it is also a hearing from God. And it's good to start with that, because sometimes we think prayer can be rather one way. It's as if like we are the only ones talking, and we don't stop enough to hear what God wants to say. So I think it's good to remind ourselves that prayer really is conversation. That as we want to talk to God, we should also pause and posture to hear from God. That's a good place to start. But prayer also, if you look into the Old Testament, as well as the New, there is a nuance, that there is an understanding that prayer is really more like a petition. When do you pray? You just think about it for yourself. When are the moments you pray? Don't you realize that most of the time when we pray, we're actually asking for something, right? It's really more a petition more than a conversation, if we would be honest. It's more like a petition. It's more like an appeal. It's more like a request. And the words that are used to describe prayer also holds a picture of someone who is of a lower position appealing like to a judge, appealing like to someone of a higher authority, someone of a, a, a greater power, that has got more things at his or her disposal that can make things happen. Otherwise, why petition? I mean, you won't go to someone you know, who has no power, uh, uh, you know, has, has no authority, has got no credibility. You won't do that, right? You'll always go to the one who has that higher authority. That's the picture of prayer. And it shows us something that it is actually because it is beyond ourselves. It is outside our own abilities, our own talents, our own understanding. And that's why we need to appeal to someone higher, someone greater, someone more powerful. And so my humble definition of prayer would be prayer is an, an acknowledgement of our great need for God. That's what prayer really is actually if you think about that. 
that we acknowledge we, we, we need God. And we need Him to intervene and we need Him to reign in every area of our lives. That really is what prayer is. So when I pray, when I pray, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm acknowledging my weakness. I'm acknowledging my helplessness, my hopelessness, and I'm revering and acknowledging His greatness. And when I look at the entire situation, I say, man, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know how this is going to happen. I, I'm, I, but God, you, I acknowledge your love. I mean, I can't love this person, but you love this person, right? So help me understand this. Ever prayed something like that before? Right? I, Lord, I can't do this. You asked me to love. You asked me to forgive. I cannot do this out of my own power. Will you help me? Can you see? It's a petitioning. I acknowledge His love. I acknowledge His mercy. I acknowledge His grace, His faithfulness, every characteristic of His nature. I realize I need His rule. I need His reign. I need His direction, His will, His purposes. Lord, help me. I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. Will you show me the way? It's a petition. You see, this is what it is. If you begin to understand prayer as a petition, you understand it differently. You say, what about faith and trust? I say, that's called faith and trust. Precisely, when you pray, you actually demonstrate faith and trust. I mean, if you don't believe in this God, why do you pray to Him in the first place? Right? And so when I pray, I'm acknowledging all this. That's what prayer is. I acknowledge my great need for God. But do you know that the opposite is also true? That if you don't pray, then you don't really acknowledge that great need. If you don't pray, or you're not praying enough in that sense, then you're saying, well, I think I can solve this. <laughs> when I need your help, I'll call you. You see that? The opposite is true. That's why you've got to understand what prayer is. And if it's a petition, then we realize, Lord, I can't, but you can. Help me. Where do I fit in in your big scheme of things? Show me. Prayer is a petition, an appeal, a request. Prayer is also a priority. And I think as I already shared some points here with you, you can see that it's leading to this one word called priority. We have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5 and ends right at the end of Matthew chapter 7 verse 29. I want you to see an interesting observation that right in the middle in Matthew chapter 6, and that's where we are right now, Jesus talks about prayer. And pictorially, if you look at it, it's like, man, prayer is right in the center of the message. The centrality and the priority of prayer. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus was teaching about the kingdom. He's talking about everything about His kingdom subjects. How do you live in the kingdom? What it means to understand the law? What it means to move by kingdom dynamics? And I don't think it's a surprise or a coincidence that prayer becomes central. Because if you want to rightly interpret the law, it's enabled by prayer, isn't it? You want to know the spirit of the law, you need to pray. You say, Lord, will you help me understand this? Because if I look at the law through my own lenses, I become legalistic. I become judgmental. I think that if I fulfill it this way, then I'm becoming really very good but I can miss the entire spirit of the law and miss the heartbeat of the king. If you want to interpret the law correctly, you've got to get into an understanding of prayer. Kingdom living is only made possible through prayer. Have you realized that? I, I discovered that over and over again. I can go through a teaching and say, well, okay, fine. So this is how I should live. I'm going to try now, the moment I do that, I fail. Anyone with me? Right? I, I can't do it. And that's why it's a petition. I say, Lord, help me. I know you've given me the Holy Spirit. Now teach me, right? How do I yield to the move of the Holy Spirit, the change, the transformation of the Holy Spirit so that I can live this out? I know I need your help. And that's what prayer is all about. Kingdom initiatives are birthed out through prayer. Now, if you are not an assignment for God, you don't understand this fully. 
I want to say this openly to you. If it only remains a theory for us, then this one line you will say, Amen. But you'll never experience the power of prayer through a kingdom initiative. But if you begin to receive an assignment from the Lord, and you say, this is my kingdom assignment, and you take that one step of faith out, guess what? I tell you, you'll be praying every other day. You'll be praying so hard because you know that a kingdom initiative cannot be done by our own power, by our own resource, by our own talent, by our own intellect. God desires and would require you to go back to Him over and over again to receive fresh instruction for the new day. Amen? Everything of the kingdom cannot be done by ourselves. It has to be birthed through prayer. You talk to any ministry, you talk to anyone who has started anything for the kingdom, you look back and you ask them, ask the man, ask the woman, what was the one thing you did most? What was the first thing that you did? I can suggest to you and say to you, I believe they will say, we prayed. We prayed and we prayed. And you may even add, oh, you don't know how hard we prayed. I tell you, it's scary. You see, that's what I'm trying to say. It's scary. Because sometimes God can call us to something that is beyond what we can do. Because if we can do it by ourselves, we donate Him. And if we donate Him, then what's the use? The idea is to draw closer to Him, to walk with Him, even as we work together with Him. And so I ask you, is prayer a priority in your life? Is it something that is central? Or is it something that is of the peripheral? Is prayer critical for you? Think about that. The third point about prayer is that Jesus says in verse 5, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their rewards. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door... Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. If you have heard a previous teaching about the giving of alms, Jesus says, you know, when you give alms, when you do good, when you do this charitable stuff, don't let your one hand know what the other hand is doing. Do it in secret. Don't make a big show out of it. This teaching extends from that and is exactly the same thing. You know, don't make prayer a show. It's not a performance. It is not how loud you pray, how flowery you pray, and so on. It's not all that at all. God is not impressed with the acting. He's not impressed with, with, with the kind of lines that they use because God knows exactly the posture of our heart. And if you are someone like the Pharisees who are, who are just happy to receive the accolades of men, then Jesus says, you've got your reward already. They clap for you. That's it. You know, it's done. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for corporate prayer. I'm not saying there's not a place for public prayer, congregational prayer. All that is needful, and we continue to do that. But I think what Jesus really is pointing to is that prayer reflects a personal relationship and intimacy with the Father. He's saying when you need to go, go into that room, in the secret, spend that one-on-one -on -one time with dad. The father desires that his children spend that time with him and to bring our requests personally, one-on-one. -on -one. We don't have to broadcast this. We don't have to show that at all. Imagine with those of us who are parents, if our children need something and instead of coming to us, they post it on Facebook and they tag us. Dropping us a hint. Do you think that would be helpful? I mean, we would know, but would we be thrilled? I don't think so, right? We would rather our children come to us and say, Dad, Mom, you know, I, I really need this. I need your help in this. Will you help me clear this? Will you help me make sense, you know, of something like that, you know? And, and we would answer it almost immediately, will we not? And I believe our Abba Father desires that, that secret rendezvous, you understand? That, that we come out of our things that we need to do, our business, you know, our activities and so on, and we just come to Abba Father and we say, Dad, I need this. Will you help me? I can't make sense of this. Will you 
answer my request. Will you show me what is the right thing to do and how should I respond? And the Bible says that God will reward you openly. How cool is that? See, it's about privacy. It's not about performance. It's about personal intimacy and relationship with Abba. And we see this example through our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone was busy with ministry, Jesus was. Jesus was being sought after. I mean, if you raise the dead, I think you'll be a sensation the next day. If you healed everyone that walked past or you walked past, you would be a, a walking publicity, right? No one's going to give you time. But it says in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 37, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. When was the last time you spent time alone with God? When was the last time you, you spent a moment of solitude to be with God? And there Jesus prayed. The disciples had to look for Him. They had to hunt for Him. They, they searched for Him. And when they found Him, and they said to Him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus was like, Abaddon? He knows. Don't, don't you think He knew? Right? He, he knew. He, he knows definitely everyone. But He pulled Himself away. Because He knew He needed that solitary time with Abba Father. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So Jesus, He Himself often, often withdrew. And I think for those of us who are in the work of the ministry, that's good advice. That's good reminder that we often have to withdraw. Sometimes we think, oh, we've got to do more. We've got to have this seminar. You know? Oh, I, I'm so sought after. You know, We're going to proclaim this message. You know? Oh, this ministry is really bustling. It's really good. Jesus often withdrew. And I can tell you, as one in the work of the ministry, there are times where I have to force myself to do that. Not because just that the Bible says so. Because it is needful. It is needful. It's recorded in another gospel in John that Jesus says He does what He sees the Father doing. How? Spending time with the Father. He only speaks what He hears from the Father. How? Spending time with the Father. He only does the things that pleases God. How? Spending time with the Father. See, if you want to be on kingdom assignment, you've got to learn from Jesus. The more you align with the Father, the more you'll see what He's doing in these signs and times. The more you will lock in with Him. The more you will hear what the Father is saying, the more you will know what to declare. The more you hear the heartbeat of the Father, the more you will do things that will bring Him pleasure. See, prayer is about privacy. Find that personal space. Find that personal time. And don't let anyone take that away from you. The fourth point is about precision, not about platitudes, not about pretense. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now look at those two phrases there. Do not use vain repetitions. Do not use many words. Verse 8. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of, before you ask Him. John Bunyan wrote this, the famous author. In prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Think about that for a while, right? Maybe sometimes we grow up in a culture of very verbose prayers, right? I know I grew up in a traditional setting where there's a time of corporate prayer and that's a time my mind sort of wanders all over the place because depending on the one who is standing there, it can be a very long prayer. Now, I, I'm not saying that it's wrong or bad in that sense because probably this person did spend time crafting that entire length of prayer. Okay, But I like this reminder. It's better to pray with a heart that is, that is full without words necessarily than words without a heart. 
Jesus says, don't use vain repetitions, nor, nor many words. Now, you remember Jesus really is regarded like a rabbi. He was teaching his disciples as a rabbi would. Now, what are vain repetitions? Let's look at another rabbi who records this. He says, if one's wife was pregnant and he said, may it be thy will that she give birth to a male, lo, this is a vain prayer. It's a vain repetition, okay? It's a, it's a useless kind of a nonsense prayer. That's what it means. If he was coming along the road and heard a noise of crying in the city and said, may it be thy will that those who are crying are not members of my household, lo, this is a vain prayer. Now, do you understand what this rabbi is saying? Very simply, look, if you are pregnant, stop praying, oh Lord, let this be a boy. Or let this be a girl, my choice. Because if you are pregnant, the baby has already been conceived. The sex has already been determined. Amen to that? Right. Now, you don't laugh, okay? It may sound absurd to you, but I've actually heard ministers asking someone who comes in for prayer, who says, I'm pregnant, and the minister actually asked, would you like a boy or a girl? If you pray by faith, God loves you so much that He will answer that prayer for you. Stop looking at me as if like this is... Uh... I am serious. Because, see, we have to be careful. Sometimes we can take this faith teaching to a kind of an extreme that is absurd. Amen? The rabbis tell you, look, that's a vain prayer. Maybe we've been praying like that. That's why when they come out, they're gender confused. The second example, if you hear someone crying or someone screaming somewhere else and you're praying, oh Lord, please, <laughs> I don't know who that is, but don't let it be my family. That's a vain prayer because what you're saying is anyone else can suffer, but please keep me safe or keep my family safe. Right? You understand? It's almost like praying an ill will upon someone else. That's a vain prayer. Now, as you listen to this, have we prayed vain prayers? I think so, you know. A lot. We ask God to change anything and move everything because we believe in the power of prayer, you see? But Jesus is saying, stop praying like that. So when you, when you play between two football teams, now think about it. <laughs> Who should you be praying for, right? Huh? And, especially, and especially when it's two Christian schools. Vain prayers, are you following? And I can tell you, if you be honest, we are guilty. We are guilty because we are selfish, we are inward looking, we want to pray only things for ourselves. Don't have vain repetitions. You don't need many words. You don't impress God with your vocabulary. You don't have to remind Him over and over and over again. You don't have to do all those things. Don't be like the heathens. Don't be like the Gentiles, the pagans. This is how they pray. You remember the encounter on Mount Carmel where Elijah was up against all the prophets of Baal? And so they were praying. They were shouting. They were screaming. They were cutting. And Elijah was going, you better shout louder. Your God is not listening to you. You better remind him. And maybe he forgot he's got an appointment. Maybe he's, you know, literally it says, you know, maybe he's actually, he's in the toilet. That's what the, the nuance is. Don't be like this because our God knows what we need even before we open our mouth. Be precise. Be very specific. You don't have to say many things over and over again so that your prayer time can be longer and you can come out and you say, I spent four hours in prayer. No need. If you know what to pray for and they're not vain repetitions, Declare that. That's all that is needed. Right? Come on, let's be honest. Have we not been impressed when someone comes to us and says, I prayed four hours, five hours. Well, praise God. You prayed four hours, five hours. I haven't got there yet. But I want to pray what is needful. Amen? That when I trust God, He already knows what I need and that He will give me what is needed. Not what I want. Not what I declare with my whatever words. So be precise and be 
specific. The fifth thing is about pattern. And if we look at this centrality of prayer right there, in verse 9 onwards, Jesus ends by saying, in this manner, after he tells you or he teaches his disciples, uh, don't pray like this, don't pray in this way, don't need to do this, don't have to use that. Then he says, in this manner, this is how you should pray. According to this, this is how you must pray. And this is that pattern that we have now come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, personally, I prefer to call it the Disciples' Prayer. It's the Lord that taught this prayer, but who did He teach? He taught the disciples that they should be praying in this manner. So, I personalize it because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is the way and the pattern that I should be praying. Now, you can use the words word for word, that's fine, but it's a manner, it's a pattern. You don't have to memorize it and repeat it over and over again until it becomes a vain repetition. Be careful, right? Because many things that we do many times becomes tradition, and tradition can become dead books. This Lord's Prayer or Disciples' Prayer is really a kingdom prayer. It's, it's kingdom-saturated. Many donors understand what this prayer is all about because they just repeat themselves and so on. They repeat, they, they, they repeat it by heart. They can sing it even in various forms. But there's no heart in this prayer. Now, we won't camp here this teaching because for the next few sessions, we will unpack the disciples' prayer. But I'm here to share with you that there's a pattern. So if you want to know what the pattern is, come back in the next few weeks. Now, do you know that there's another mention of the kingdom's prayer or the disciples' prayer? You find it in the Gospel of Luke. But this time, it is not in the middle of a sermon. This time, it is in response to the disciples asking, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus says almost word for word, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 onwards to verse 4. But what follows after that is interesting. And so I'm going to take a little bit of a detour from Matthew. We're going to jump to the book of Luke now so that we can draw a couple of more points about prayer to sort of complete the picture for all of us. After Jesus shares about the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, he goes on in verses 5 to 8, and really the point was about persistence. Persistence in prayer. How do we understand persistence? If we have been told, don't repeat, don't have vain repetitions, don't nag God. You don't have to keep reminding Him because He's not one who forgets. He knows exactly. And then now suddenly we talk about persistence. How do we marry these two things together, right? Have you wrestled with that, that point before? So let's look at what Luke says in verse uh, 5 to 8. The first thing we see here is Jesus says this parable to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now I've heard many a sermon use this parable to tell you, whatever you need, badger God for it. Hold on to it with tenacity. Be persistent and ask until you get it. Have you heard those teachings? Yeah, I, 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 and there is a principle there. But I tell you what's the key phrase in this parable. You'll find it in verse 6. It says, friend, lend me three loaves. This guy is asking for three loaves. That's what he asks for. But verse 6, for a friend of mine has come on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Here's the key, friends. Listen to this. He was asking not for himself. He was asking that he might be a channel of blessing to someone else. 
He was asking not for his own game. He was asking that he may be hospitable in that culture of that day so that he can bless someone who needs that more than he does. Now, when we understand this, it becomes clear. Man, be persistent. Ask God to bless someone through you. Ask God so that you can receive something that you can give another person that he can receive a blessing and you can fulfill a kingdom purpose. Be persistent for the sake of others. Be persistent in the prayer that is intercessory. Be persistent not just for ourselves. Be persistent so that you can be a kingdom blessing. Now tell me, is that a kingdom principle or is that a kingdom principle? Once you get a perspective, it changes your understanding of what persistence in prayer is all about. It's not about us. It's always about someone else. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. You know this other parable. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That was Jesus' principle. He says, keep praying, don't lose heart. Then he says, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse 6, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is another category that we need to be persistent in. There is injustice in this world. The context of this parable was that Jesus was talking about the end times. That in those days, in the last days, there will be injustice. There will be a lot of challenges. The people of God will not be having a great time. There will be persecution. There will be trouble. The righteous will be taken down. And then Jesus says, but you pray, don't lose heart. Ask God, for justice. You want to be persistent in your prayer? Ask for justice. Ask for justice. And I believe this is that prayer that fills that bowl of incense. Amen? This is that prayer. I mean, come on, let's read our Bible correctly. It's not just a prayer for our house, for our car, for our bigger church. That's not the idea. It is the prayer of the saints to say, Oh God, how long? How long? Jesus says, don't lose heart. Because at the end, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith? There will be people who say, I give up on God, man. This is not happening, man. They are not persistent in praying for justice. That if this unjust judge can answer a woman who badges him, how much more our just judge who will come? You want to be persistent? Pray for the persecuted church. Pray for those who are in trouble. Pray for the poor. Pray for the marginalized. Pray for the disenfranchised. Luke chapter 12, verse 31, 32. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep holding on to that. Lord, give us the kingdom. We need that kingdom. Until your kingdom comes, until that rule and reign is complete, we are going to have big trouble on earth. We need you, God. It's a petition. It's an appeal. It's a request. Keep asking. Keep seeking for that. And as you do that, God provides the things. All these things shall be added unto us. You don't have to worry about all the other things. But keep asking for the kingdom. Keep asking for the agenda. Keep asking for the purposes of the kingdom. You want to be persistent? then be persistent in this. Not in our material things. Not to give us bigger bank accounts and so on. The Bible never said that. 
And remember, Luke writes this after the teaching about the disciples' prayer. He says, as you pray this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. You'll be persistent for all these things. Keep holding on to it. The seventh point, obviously, is about power. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 to 3, after that parable about persistence, Jesus says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Remember, it's after that kingdom prayer. It's after persistence, so it's still in that same vein. It's still about holding on and, and petitioning the Lord. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, he'll be open. If your son asks for bread from any father among you, will, you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Friends, we are still in the context of prayer. So pray for the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Because if you want to move on kingdom things, you need the Spirit of the King. After Jesus ascended, the disciples gathered for a prayer meeting, right? They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. If they needed the Holy Spirit, don't you think we also need the Holy Spirit? I mean, they could have just said, look, we just spent 40 days with the teacher of teachers. He's the best, the best Bible study I've ever had. 40 days about a kingdom. I know everything. They could have said, Jesus said, no, you'll be witnesses for me. Oh, we're already witnesses. What? We just saw him, you know, you know he, he, we saw him die, we saw him rise, and we saw him uh, ascend. I mean, aren't we already witnesses? Wait for what? Jesus says, no, 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 you wait, you tarry until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They had a prayer meeting for the Holy Spirit, and today I believe that we need the Holy Spirit because we need to know how to pray in the Spirit and by the Spirit. And many times we fail in our prayers because our, our prayers are not Spirit-led. Many times we get bored with ourselves in our prayer because our prayers are not Spirit-empowered. Many times we feel as if we are praying like, oh, like not, I'm not doing my duty because the Holy Spirit is not guiding and leading us and enabling us. We need the Spirit. Because if you talk about a petition, an appeal, do you remember in Romans chapter 8, it says that in your weakness, when you do not know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. Have you come to a point where you're at that stage where you're so desperate for God, you don't know what to say? Have you come to a point of prayer where you say, God, I, if you don't come through, I'm gone, man. I need you, Lord, and I really mean I need you. And as you, it's like that last breath comes out, you don't know what else to say. The Holy Spirit groans. It's not just about speaking in tongues. It's where that Spirit links with the Spirit of God and says, Lord, will you help me? Your will be done. Help me. I don't understand this, but Lord, let good come out of this. That's Spirit-empowered prayer. Amen? And I believe this is what Jesus is saying. You ask for that Holy Spirit because without that, you are praying by rote. You are praying intellectually. You are praying what you think might be the best solution. But the Holy Spirit knows the will of the Father. He prays the will of the Father. And I always warn people, you be careful because that's called a dangerous prayer. Because when you say, Holy Spirit, you help me. I'll do whatever you say. However God orchestrates it, get ready for a roller coaster ride. But enjoy it. Because usually in a roller coaster ride, you cling for dear life. And I believe the Lord wants us just to cling to Him. Amen. The petition of prayer. What are we praying for? What are we asking for? The priority of prayer. The privacy, that one-on-one -on -one time with God. That, that position of prayer to, to ask as the Father would have us ask, you know, for the purposes of the kingdom. And after that, you know, that there's a pattern about the, the, the whole kingdom thing. Who are we talking to and, and how do we bring our, our requests to the Lord? What should those items be? Jesus gives that pattern. But be persistent for the things of the kingdom. 
empowered by the Holy Spirit. I hope these seven points would have been a good reminder and a good encouragement even for us to relook at our prayer life. How are we praying? When are we praying? Is it important to us? Has it been all about us? Or has it really been about the kingdom? Let me leave you with a little bit more. As I prepared this and I was closing, I thought, okay, I'll just give you the seven points. We wrap up and we can close in prayer. But I thought I'll give you a bonus because I was reminded of an article that I wrote in my blog that had this acronym of prayer that when we come to the Lord to pray, if you want to go through those seven points, you can, but one of the first things we need to do is to present ourselves. That's what prayer is. Remember? To bring ourselves to that time, that place of prayer. And don't laugh at this. You might say, yeah, this is like so obvious. All of us struggle to present ourselves. It's a big effort, don't you think? We can't pull away from the computer. We can't pull away from that work. We can't pull away from the appointment. We can't pull away from something else and we just pray on the go. And we, 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 we sort of rationalize it. And Paul says, uh, uh, pray unceasingly, can. Uh. Wherever you can, you can pray. Uh. Which is true, right? But here we're talking about a personal time with the Lord. Present yourself. Just bring yourself to that place already is a big struggle. Present. Now, when you get to that place, can I suggest to you and recommend to you, rest in Him. That's the first thing you do. Before you even open your mouth to ask, rest in Him. Maybe for 30 seconds, I tell you, you will, you will fidget, you know. But that resting in Him is, is really to acknowledge His presence, that you have come into His presence. You say, Lord, I'm going to make this time yours. Help me. Rest. And I tell you that even just for that small moment, there's a peace that comes. There's a, there's a distancing from even that email that you need to answer. The WhatsApp that just went... Right? Just rest in Him. Just a few moments. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And then ask. You have come boldly into His presence. You have that confidence. Ask, request, petition, cry, scream. Do whatever you want. God can take it. Ask boldly. And we cannot just, in Jesus' name, amen. Because the next part is important. I learned this from the psalmist. Yield. That means after you have prayed all you need to pray, whatever you have to ask, whatever questions, confusion, everything, stop for a moment and just yield. Say, okay, Lord, whatever I've asked, if it's nonsense, I yield to your will. Whatever you want, Lord. If I've prayed vain repetitions, <laughs> forgive me, Lord, but I yield. The psalmist, Lord, how long? And then after that, though the fig tree does not bear fruit. I don't want to stand all these things, but I, I trust in you. You, you follow that? It's a posture of confidence where you just yield and you, you ask, you leave things there because you know God is going to answer you and God is going to make things good His way. Now, I know we're talking about prayer, so some of you who are looking at this, just pray so there's no ER. Okay, I'll give you the ER. Then after you yield, get out and expect that God is going to move for you. Amen? God's going to move for you and as you expect, according to our faith, we will receive, yes? Then we receive and give Him thanks. But that's for after our prayer time. So friends, how's your prayer life? If you ask me, and I'll be very honest and authentic with you, I know I can improve in mine. I know I've been distracted. I know in my task-oriented makeup of my personality. I see my faithfulness in my doing of assignments. And I know each and every of these points applies to me. 
and I have to remind myself over and over again, you can't do anything without God. Go back and ask. Go back and receive. Go back and petition. Hear a fresh instruction. Receive a fresh impartation. And then out of that presence, get on assignment again. I hope this helps you, and I hope that this encourages you too. Let's close in prayer. Father, we know that there's not one person here that says, I've prayed enough. Each time after we have prayed, however long we have prayed, we still feel that we have not covered everything. As much as we want to spend time in your presence to bask even in your glory and to to enjoy you, Lord, we know we are distracted over and over again. Collectively, Lord, we pray. We say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. We know, Lord, we have also depended on our own strength. And especially, Lord, when we have been in ministry long enough, Lord, we can do it often without you. Lord, I thank you that you are gracious always, that sometimes you allow us to trip and to fall so that we are reminded we are nothing apart from you. And so I pray for myself and my brothers and my sisters. Lord, will you draw us into your presence once again? Lord, will you show us that it is not just a regime or routine of prayer that we're just trying to tick off our checklist that we are good Christians. But Lord, we truly acknowledge our great need for you. And in that, we get to enjoy you, we get to know you, and we get to be aligned even more with your mind and with your heart. And I thank you that as we do that afresh, Lord, you will renew us in our spirits. You will strengthen us. You will empower us. And you will assign us even so that we will arise from that place and be about our kingdom assignments to bring you glory and to bring you honor. And so we thank you for this, Lord. Help us, Lord. Guide us. We know you will answer this prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.